Talking Tesla. Talking Tesla. Tesla. I'm not sure if like my foot should be on the brake or the accelerator. They put rings on Elon. It must be some sort of geometrical algorithm. I don't really need to touch the steering wheel there, Tom. Oh, I'm sure there's some math. So SpaceX, <laughs> here's the deal. Um, landing a rocket on a drone ship is key. Charger, 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 <laughs> charger. How am I expected to drive a car without autopilot? Safely. Charger, charger, charger. <laughs> you know, I'm not a good parker, Tom. Yeah. I'll be the first to admit it. Yeah. I just think that this is a car company that is run by super geeks. All the other cars are going to be stupid cars compared to this car. You don't even have to I remember that. You've got a Model X. I have seen the future, and it is light pole charging. No, I wouldn't call it a screw-up. Do you like your Model X? God, it's beautiful. We have a special guest today. We have Rob Maurer of Tesla Daily. I've been a Patreon member of Rob's since early 2017, maybe September, I think. Maybe you started in August, Rob. Is that about right? Yeah, right around then. I think it was. I think that's exactly right. I think August. And then, yeah, you were my first uh, gold supporter on Patreon. I remember <laughs> I remember the when I was talking about that on the podcast because I was so excited. It was, you know, just that someone would care enough to support at that level was really it was an awesome moment for me so i appreciate it and funny enough i was a big fan of talking tesla at the time and i think they went on one of their hiatuses and i was getting very lonely for a good podcast <laughs> and i found your podcast and now you're um you're on youtube yeah and writing for the street is that correct yep so i've been doing uh so yeah august 2017 started tesla daily um did it just as an audio podcast for a couple of years and then august of 20 19 i actually quit my job to sort of do tesla daily and all this sort of stuff full time uh shortly thereafter started the youtube channel that's grown now you know really quickly to like 110,000 subscribers or so uh, 112 today yeah, 112 today <laughs> yeah. so over the last over the last year um and that's you know it's it's occurred in tandem with a lot of interest in tesla and i focus on it mainly from an investor perspective uh so I think, you know, just as the stock has, has taken off, a lot more people have become interested, um, and that's definitely helped. But yeah, doing YouTube for the last year, it's really just that same audio podcast, but adding in graphics, adding in, you know, visuals for the articles I'm talking about and things like that. Mm -hmm. So about two days ago, Tesla, it was announced that the S&P 500 was going to be inducting Tesla into the S&P 500. And I've looked around, I've seen a lot of news, and there's one large question that I don't feel like has been answered. What does a snake jazz and um, and S&P have to do with each other? Yeah, snake snake jazz or snake and Polynesian jazz or whatever it was. Okay. Okay, snake and Polynesian <laughs> yeah, jazz. Yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, people have been talking about that on Twitter for a long time. You know, everyone always looks, looks to Elon for his cryptic messaging on Twitter. Um, who knows? I mean, sometimes there are definitely signs that things are related. Elon is not one to to shy away from a good riddle, I think. So, you know, we, yeah. we, we kind of get to play the guessing game a lot. But yeah, there were, were some rumors that Elon was tweeting various different tweets that had S and P in them uh, for the last few months since Tesla has become eligible. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever figure out if they're related, but <laughs> it's nice to at least have this, you know, formally announced now. And I think we can stop the, <laughs> the speculation finally. So this has been something probably for a year and a half, I think, um, if you've been following Tesla, at least for the, the audience, this has been something that's been talked about for a bit. But why, why do you think it's so important to retail investors that Tesla is now in the S&P? 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple schools of thought. Yeah, I think there's a couple schools of thought. I think, you know, on one hand, you have people excited because there's going to be some forced buying and that leads to an opportunity for the share price to go up. So I think you have a certain set of investors that are just really excited to be able to, you know, have their their position increase uh, through that process. On the other hand, I think the S&P 500 inclusion is really a significant sort of milestone for Tesla. It really shows that they have, you know, they've made it to the state of being, for lack of a better word, sort of a real company that's producing, you know, gap profits um, Mm -hmm. that is being recognized for the financial fundamental strength that they have, which has been a huge criticism for Tesla ever since basically they started as a business. And it's just taken so long for Tesla to get to this point where they've finally reached those economies of scale, where they can actually start to show those profits. And, you know, it's it's a bit of an inflection point. And I think we've seen that reflected in the stock over the last year that, hey, this is actually a business that is self-sustaining and can continue to grow in the future just, you know, with its own with its own business. It's not something that's just going to need to constantly go to the capital markets and raise raise capital, dilute shareholders and things like that. So it is, I think it's a really, um, you know, important moment for, for Tesla, even setting aside just, you know, all the, the technical aspects that, that have to do with the, with the inclusion. Mm. So I read recently that this would be the largest company to be inducted into the S and P 500. And they're, they're trying to decide exactly how to do this. One is, um, do you think that um, the S&P maybe made a mistake by not having maybe Tesla go into the S&P 1000 first so that people could kind of get ready for it, even though they weren't turning a profit consistently? Yeah. So just for some background on that point, uh, the reason that Tesla is now eligible to be included in the S&P 500 is, you know, what I said before, they're now starting to show a profit. Uh, So one of the inclusion requirements is that for the sum of the last 12 months, the company must be gap profitable. And then the most recent mm-hmm. quarter must also be gap profitable. So up until Q2, after Q2 results this year, Tesla didn't meet that criteria. And that is the criteria for a lot of these, you know, S&P funds. So basically the path to the S&P 500 for a lot of companies is, okay, they'll start, they'll be a small company, they'll be profitable. And over time, their market cap, the valuation of the company will increase. And they'll sort of work their way up through these indices, starting with, you know, a small cap indice, and then they'll move into a mid cap indice or an index. And then um, after that, eventually they'll become big enough to get added to the S&P 500, which is really a large cap index. Mm-hmm. Tesla's right. not taking that route because they they haven't been profitable, so they've never been in those smaller indexes. And that that's why this is sort of unique. Um you know, other other companies have have done this, so it's not unique, but it's less less common for this type of an inclusion uh, to come from basically none of these other indexes, and then or these other indices, and then be included in the S and P index. So uh, that's why there's a little bit more attention given to this than you know a normal sort of promotion, because in a promotion scenario, you've got that mid cap, you know, all the funds in the mid cap tracking pool that they can just sell their shares because it's not going to be in their index anymore. And then as that's happening, the larger cap index, the S&P 500 in this case, can buy those shares up. So, uh, yeah, I don't know that I would say that they made a mistake because they have these guidelines, you know, in place for a reason. It helps them avoid making mistakes on, you know, more speculative companies. You know, if you're going to be creating this index for people that have, you know, their 401ks invested and, and things like that and 
you gotta you gotta be a little bit risk averse and you know an index in in and of itself is that um so that's why those guidelines exist uh but yeah i'm sure they're sitting here now being like ah this one kind of got away from us and you know tesla's increased in value so much now that it's it's going to be a little bit tricky for them to get it in and that's why with the announcement you you saw this uh sort of the S&P committee seeking feedback from investors about how to structure it. If they should add Tesla in a couple of tranches where they're saying, okay, you know, a week earlier, there's going to be 50% of the weight included. And then a week later, it's going to, you know, go up to hundred percent. So they're trying to figure out the best way to do this and seeking feedback from investors on, you know, how, how can we do this without shaking the boat, rocking the boat too much? Right. Right. Do you think uh, for other companies that sort of end up like this, do you think that they'll, use this as sort of the pattern in the future you know i don't know i don't know where uber is for example but you know if uber goes public and then the same sort of thing happens where they're not making a profit and a lot of newer companies sort of aren't making profits to grow and then all of a sudden they're like a 300 billion dollar company and they're being included uh the numbers get big i guess at this point yeah for sure and that's what's so 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 odd with teslas because you know at their 400 billion dollar market cap uh, the S&P is float adjusted, so it kind of removes the value of the shares that are held by insiders. Uh, so basically, it'll come in at like a $350 billion float valuation. That's not super important, mm-hmm. but um, when we when that happens, Tesla ends up being about 1% of the index. And if you think about a normal company coming in that doesn't have that $350 billion float valuation, you know, most of these companies are probably going to have between 5 and $10 billion of float valuation. So Tesla's going to be, you know, whatever the math on that is, I can't think of that, you know, right off the top of my head here is that 30 times as large as like a normal inclusion would be. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. It's, yeah. So that kind of puts it in perspective. Like normally an inclusion doesn't have that significant of an impact on sort of how the returns of these funds end up for the year because they're small enough, you know, maybe 0.2%, 0.1%. Whereas Tesla's coming in at significantly higher value than that. So that's where things get tricky and they have to, you know, they have to spend more time figuring out how this process works. So for other companies in the future, like I'm not sure we'll see a valuation that high, like Uber today, I think they're valued around 40, 50 billion. So they'd have to kind of 10 X before being included in the S and P 500 to be in a similar situation as, as Tesla is today. Uh, So yeah, what we're seeing here is really unique and you said it before it's the largest company to be added. So I don't know that they'll change their guidelines too much on this, but I'm sure they're talking about, you know, what to do here and what to maybe change in the future. So with all of this, and, and this will be, I'm guessing, a good amount of buying, you had a podcast that last night that, bro- that broke last night with the potential of uh, Berkshire Hathaway purchasing a big amount of Tesla shares. And at first it was like... Um, it seemed like you were okay. Yeah, maybe happening, and then you know maybe a little cold water on it. But I think you left people sort of taking whatever they wanted to take <laughs> away from the story. Yeah, and that's yeah. I think that's the the takeaway is it's inconclusive right now. So if people didn't get a chance to listen to that episode, um, it's like 13 minutes, so we won't go into all the detail here. But essentially, the situation is that uh, Berkshire Hathaway on their most recent 13F filing, which discloses all their equity positions, there's a line in there that says some of the information here has been. Um, removed for confidentiality reasons. That's happened a few times for Berkshire Hathaway in the past where they've where they've been accumulating a position in a company and they've gotten approval to not disclose that just quite yet because that would then, you know, I guess 
increase the stock price and make it more difficult for them to accumulate. Not sure why they get granted that exception. It seems a little bit strange to me, but anyway, they're, they're accumulating a position in a company they don't want people to know about. Um, it looks like from the math, it's a pretty big stake. If they were, you know, if it's a $10 billion plus stake in a company, that company would need to be $200 billion plus in market cap for them to not have to disclose it from another form. So not the 13F, because if you own more than 5% of a company, you need to disclose it. So they have less than 5%. They have a big investment here. There's some theorizing that, okay, maybe that's Tesla. Maybe they were trying to keep it quiet because of, you know, potential S&P inclusion. And maybe that could, you know, upset the cart there. So, and that might be a reason why you would give confidentiality if you know that if it's a high probability that they're going to be included and you're accumulating maybe to get ahead of it, maybe you don't want to, you know, sort of push the stock up higher. Right, right. That would be one theory at least. Exactly. And then on the Tesla end of it, you have um, some really good work done by Frank Peel and he's tracked, you know, a bunch of different 13F filings from all these different institutional investors which are investors that have, you know, more than $100 million in assets under management. And he's found that the shares that they own has, have actually declined by somewhere around 50 million shares from Q2 to Q3. Uh, so that ends up being, you know, tens of billions of dollars that are sort of unaccounted for. And maybe those just went to smaller funds, retail investors, individual companies that don't have to file 13Fs, etc. There's many mm-hmm. plausible explanations, but they're, one of the explanations could be, okay, maybe it went to Berkshire Hathaway and it's just hidden here in this little confidential segment. So yeah, I think that's, that's sort of the first part of, okay, this seems plausible, but on the other hand, you know, Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett, they've made comments in the past that basically straight up said they would not invest in Tesla. They've made those comments this year. So I still think it's kind of a long shot. Um, And Elon's also made comments, (laughs) right? It's sort of bi-directional there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. About insurance and about chocolate or candies, I guess, too. Yeah, big candy. <laughs> he has. Yeah. So I kind of closed that episode off just saying like at, at my core, I don't think it's Tesla, but it is super interesting to follow still. And, you know, regardless of the company, I think we're all anxious to find out what that ends up being here in a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So in December, I think there's a lot of big things that could potentially happen with Tesla. FSD made in China model Y, maybe some of the first ones coming out. Obviously, S&P inclusion at the end of December and then record production, what do you think is going to be the biggest thing that's going to happen in December? It could be even something else. Yeah, no, I mean, that's like a full a full slate right there already. I think, you know, if we're talking fundamental impact to Tesla, there's sort of two, two things there. And I think the biggest thing would be the FSD beta, you know, from an investor perspective, that's, that's the game changer. Tesla's ability to leverage their software, you know, whether that's through a fully autonomous robo-taxi or whether it's just through incremental value to their to the owners mm-hmm. from um, what that offers. So, you know, that's why Tesla carries the valuation that it has. That's why Tesla has so much potential in the future. It's not just from making cars, it's from making cars that also have, you know, this incredibly valuable software package. So that's the most important thing um, that I'm watching for. Secondarily to that would be just their production. Uh, I did a forecasting episode a couple of weeks ago based on some numbers that were getting out of China for production for uh, October. It was very strong, 23,000 units produced, uh, which would have been, you know, about 10,000 more than their previous high month. So production there is really about 7,000 or so going to potentially going to Europe as Mm -hmm. well. Yep. So maybe on the heels of the Honda being added to their pool, their uh, the credit sharing. 
Yeah, the credit. Yep. Yeah, the credit. The pool. emission. The emissions pool. Emissions pool. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we saw, you know, a big number of exports. I think 7,000 were one batch. I've seen a couple other reports that, you know, over the course of the month that may have increased to about 10,000. So, and that's the first time, you know, they've exported from, from Shanghai. So a couple of questions there is, okay, is demand in Europe so robust that they need to export or is demand in China just low enough that they need to export? So, you know, whatever theory you want, want to put on that, I think it'll be clear once we get the, the Q4 numbers in terms of production and delivery. Um, I'm at the point where, you know, I, I think Tesla's selling all they can make. I personally have ordered a Model 3 this quarter. It's going to be my first Tesla. And, you know, I ordered Congratulations. it. Thank that you. Yeah, it's a time long, long journey. It's day one reservation holder. So it's been <laughs> four and a half years of waiting. Um, nice. <clears throat> yeah, but I put that I put that order in on uh, October 16th. And now we're a month later. And I still don't even have a, uh, a VIN. So, you know, I, I want a Model 3. I can't That's get a awesome. Model 3. So I think they're doing fine on, on the demand end. So... Yeah, maybe you'll be a FSD beta. Yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, I hope so. Yeah. I don't know that they'll put someone new to Tesla in the beta, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting how what they what they decide. One of the um, one of the hosts of Talking Tesla got a an offer, so I think he's he's getting an email this week on it. So. Nice, that's awesome. Yeah, I've, I'll definitely do whatever I can to try and get in it. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you and Galley. What do you think the um, risks? The biggest risk is for for next year. There's a lot of things that are happening. Obviously, all the gigas that are sort of coming in place. You know, China, Texas, Germany. We have the forty six eighty rollout, and I guess you know that's also that's in Cato as well as in Germany as well in Berlin, mm-hmm. and maybe even like the gigapress in general. Maybe there's something that they they didn't see there. I mean, all that sort of execution. But what do you see is 2021's biggest biggest risk yeah i mean i think you hit the nail on the head for me it's just what all the expansion and aggressive growth plans that tesla has specifically as it relates to the 4680 cell i think a lot of the the growth in vehicle production and deliveries is contingent on the 4680 especially when we look at what's going to happen in berlin and in texas and at battery day you know elon was pretty open about how they're you know, these things work, they're confident in the plan, but the yield on some of the processes right now, specifically with like the dry battery electrode technology is a little bit low. So Tesla still has problems they need to solve to, you know, get production to the point where they can produce, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of these cells to put into hundreds of thousands of vehicles, like their plans uh, would seem to indicate. So Mm -hmm. that's a lot of execution risk for, you know, one year, you've got this pilot line at, at Cato Road, you've got the expansion at Giga Berlin, you've got the expansion at Giga Texas, and this is something that, you know, battery cell manufacturing is something that Tesla's never done before in their history. So, you know, we've been through those scenarios before. Tesla had never mass produced a Model 3, and, you know, it took them a little bit longer than they had hoped. Obviously, they got there eventually. They'll get there eventually with the 4680. It'll be great. But specifically, when we talk about 2021, I think that's the big risk of like, okay, how does how does Tesla execute on this? How do they get those yields up? How do they get these processes in place where things are running efficiently and they're getting those cost benefits that they that they hope for? So if I were to ask you um, to pull out your inner galley, we all know you as very uh, conservative <laughs> and you know, sort of right down the middle in some ways. What would you think um, is the next big thing for, for Tesla? Or what would you like to see as that next big thing for Tesla? Outside of stuff that we haven't heard about, I guess. Yeah. 
Um, well, on the first part of that, I would say, you know, I, I don't try to be conservative. I just try to be accurate. <laughs> no, no. And actually, I appreciate it because there's sometimes I hear, you know, people talking about where they see they're going and it's so far out. I mean, I'm a huge Tesla fan. I think I've been following since 2006 or, wow, or yeah. five. And, you know, this is like, you know, my dream in some ways, but I think there's a balance and I think you're hitting it really well. And in fact, even, you know, yesterday's thing on uh, Berkshire Hathaway was I could, if I was like excited about it, I could just listen to the first half. <laughs> if I was more negative about it, I could listen to the second half yeah. of what you said. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so, but you know, um, <laughs> just to, just to get you to like, give me your uh, moonshot. Uh, what is today? Th- moonshot Thursday, I guess. <laughs> moonshot Thursday. Yeah. Um, are you talking like, you know, future, future product expansion or? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I guess. I guess sort of leading into that, you know, one of the things I'm most excited to see from Tesla is just the progress with the semi. I think the 4680 is going to sort of unlock that as a business line. Um, and I'm super excited about that for a couple of reasons. Number one, I just think it's going to be incredibly disruptive in, you know, all heavy transportation and shipping and everything like that, which is a huge, huge business and continues to become bigger and bigger. So I'm, I think that's incredibly underappreciated right now. And the element of that, that is also really intriguing is, um, this sort of idea of platooning. So, you know, Mm -hmm. we're on the path to full self-driving, but we're not really there yet. Um, however, you could imagine a scenario where along that path with the Tesla semi and with shipping, you know, you line a few of these semis up, you have a lead driver that actually has a human in it and they're sort of controlling this, you know, line of semis. And then the following semis are programmed to, you know, basically just follow. And that should be a much, much safer or simpler to implement, um, than a, you know, completely fully autonomous with no sort of driver supervision type of situation. So that's something I'm excited to see hopefully some progress on on that because i think i do still think it's going to be a while before we get to sort of this full robo taxi situation where you're just like hailing a driverless uh car on on an app on your phone i think that's still a ways out but you know platooning is something that i could see develop in the next couple of years so that's one element i'm excited about <laughs> as far as like future products you know everyone talks about the the vtol you know vertical takeoff and landing jet i'm not you know, I'm super excited about that. I just think it's like way down the road. Uh, something that I don't think Tesla would do, but I would be super excited to see from them would be something in, you know, in the in the water space, I guess. So whether that's, yeah. um, you know, personal watercraft, whether that's, you know, small like jet ski type stuff, whether it's boats, whether it's, um, you know, heavy, heavy stuff for shipping. Uh, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in that field and just personally i would i would love to have a boat that has like a not giant gas engine on that you can just see like the you know the gasoline just like dripping into the into the lake you know i think that would be awesome you're in minnesota right Uh, i went to school in minnesota i'm in milwaukee but you know similar vibes (laughs) no i mean just tons of lakes exactly you know watercraft whatnot so yeah. So that's kind of like yeah. my personal bias, like something out. It's not, you know, never going to be like a huge business line for Tesla at this point, but I just think it would be something that would be, you know, from an emissions perspective, really nice. And, um, from a functional usability perspective, really nice as well. Yeah. I mean, for cargo ships, it will, I, I think Tesla is sort of deciding to have something on every con- continent. And I think 
hopefully they won't be so beholden by running things on cargo ships, but mm-hmm. something like the just the top 25 cargo ships produce more NOx emissions and sort of particulates in all the cars in the world combined. That's crazy. So that's something for sure that could be extremely impactful you know, down the road. Yeah. I don't know how you get to that. <laughs> right. um, and I don't want them to get distracted from what they're doing. But yeah, I mean, that's that's something. It's sort of like he, he kind of goes to things that people say you can't do. And then he comes up and does it. Right. So right. we'll see how that works out. One of the reasons why I'm excited about S&P inclusion is I feel like it, and you, you hinted it towards it, is it's sort of like a legitimacy thing. It's uh, Tesla's now made it in some ways. And um, it maybe goes to some of, I listened to your first podcast and some of the reasons why you decided to create a podcast. And those were some of those, some of those same reasons. Mm -hmm. Do you think with something like this, that Tesla now has a lot of the things going for it that they didn't have going for it when you first created the podcast in terms of externally from, from other folks? Right like media and whatnot. Yeah, I I definitely think like that's a huge part of this is the legitimacy that, um, you know, being an S&P 500 company gives. Like once once Tesla's in, it's unlikely that they're ever going to come out. You know, it's that's something you can't really take away from Tesla. They'd have to, you know, really falter on a fundamental level to to get out of the S&P 500. So, uh, you know, back back in 2017, 2018, really when, you know, there was so much, I don't know, hate's probably not the right word, but just negative attention in the media on Tesla. Uh, there wasn't a lot of, there weren't a lot of voices out there pushing back on it. Um, especially when times were tough for Tesla and, you know, the stock was tanking or there's all these battery fires or whatever else is going on. So yeah, that's why I started the podcast. I really felt like, okay, this, this negativity is out of control. It's missing so much context. And like, I just want to, again, back to what I said earlier, I just want to get accurate information out there to more people that's what I've been all about this whole time. Um, and you know, I, th- I think now we're at, at the point where Tesla has such a massive following, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on comment sections of articles, whether it's on YouTube, you know, wherever there's so many people now that are interested in Tesla and know about Tesla. And that makes it so much more difficult for negative information to sort of, you know, not even negative information, but just incorrect information to, to spread. So, yeah, I think the S&P part of that is a big part of it. I think, you know, we've seen short interest. So the number of people betting against the stock that's declined so much, like fivefold over the last couple of years. So it's all it's all just sort of coming together. Tesla's achieving things. They're profitable. They're, you know, they're growing their deliveries. They're delivering on autonomy. They're they're doing all these things. And um while they're doing all that, like the support has only grown, the information available has only grown. It's just been a really nice sort of combination of things. And I think, again, the S&P 500 inclusion is just sort of a nice little like, can't think of the right word, like a memento of of that, like a, a, mm-hmm. a symbol of, of what Tesla has achieved over the last few years. Yeah, I saw your YouTube interview with um, David Lee. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it was kind of like, he needed a, that cathartic, uh, you know, commiseration in some ways, right. but in a positive way, like a party. Right. I mean, that's essentially what that is, right? Right. Like it's, we've all kind of been through the ringer, like, you know, investors, uh, you know, I can't even imagine for employees, but it's just been, it's been a long, you know, long journey for sure. Right. Yeah. And recently sort of after our, uh, our podcast, the, the, a couple of the found Mel and, um, and Tom who are sort of the founding 
I'll call them founding fathers <laughs> of uh, talking Tesla. They've been around for maybe six years or so. And uh, we were sort of talking about it. Tesla's getting closer and closer to making it. And we still have this need to support sustainability and support um, sort of that looking to the future with technology, but in a sustainable way. And maybe openly wondered if talking Tesla is um, pigeonholes us in some way with um, with our name. And I know that if I go to your website, I think it still is TechCast Daily, right? Or yeah, that'll that'll forward like down that. to the street because that's where I do all my all my oh, internet stuff. Okay. But yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of. Funny, do you think so. you ever? Do you think you'd ever would change your YouTube channel name or make another channel um, called TechCast Daily or something similar to that? Yeah, so I think a couple parts on that. When I originally made the podcast, it was TechCast Daily because I wasn't sure if I could actually call it like Tesla Daily as like a <laughs> right, <laughs> like, like copyright, legal. yeah, like stuff like that. And you know, right. Tesla's cool. Like they they end up not caring about stuff like that, which is you know, it's that's nice. But for me, I always kind of say, you know, if I were doing this podcast 10 years ago, it, it probably would have been about Apple, um, I guess maybe more like 15 years ago at this point. But um, yeah, I think in, in 10 years, like not that the Tesla story is going to be over, but certainly there's going to be, you know, less to talk about on a daily basis. So Tesla daily at, at that point is probably not going to make a ton of sense. So, <laughs> so it is something that I, that I think about and, you know, my interests aren't just solely Tesla. Like it's not all that I care no. about in the world. So yeah, I definitely have, you know, ambitions that are that are broader than that. Um, and, you know, some things, ideas in the works for for how to, you know, not necessarily pivot to that. Like for me, Tesla's, you know, it's always going to be a company that's close to my heart, close to what I'm talking about. There's so many lessons that we can learn from Tesla and apply elsewhere that it's just it's always going to be integral. Um, but, yeah, I, th I think, you know looking far in the future, it does kind of pigeonhole me in a way. And you guys can definitely relate to that. So. Yeah, most definitely. Sometimes it's hard to get an interview. Yeah. Um, and that's, what's frustrating but, too, especially for me. Cause like, I really, <laughs> despite having a Tesla daily podcast, like I'm, I really don't think I'm that biased towards Tesla. Like I, you know, I criticize the company enough. I, yeah. I'm, I'm positive yeah. on them in general, but you know, they could do things better. That's fine. Every company can. Like, I'm still interested in these other companies like Lucid, Rivian, you know, Xpeng, mm -hmm. whatever the case is. Like, I have no ill yep. will against them. And I just, you know, same for them. Like, I want to get, <laughs> I want to get information out there. That's really the goal. Yeah. I, I followed this podcast. It's about, um, it's mainly about AI. And he just happened to do a couple shows on Tesla. And he got such a big following just from that, that he kind of is almost everything, all of his content now is about Tesla because that sort of draws in the viewers in yeah. some way. So yeah, it's, it's a blessing now. And yeah. I, I, you know, a blessing and a curse at, at, at times too, because you, I think you do have some of this like piling in effect of, you know, people see it as being a lucrative endeavor. Now, uh, there's been people that have been able to, you know, support themselves financially doing this. So, you know, of course people look at that and say like, Oh, Hey, like I could just do that too. Or like you said, they'll do a video on Tesla and it gets, you know, five times or 10 times more views than they normally get. And they're like, Oh, like, it's not easy. I'll do another video on Tesla. Though. Like it's yeah. kind of a forcing function, which is it's, it's great. Like it gets you more information on Tesla, but then you also have like this, okay, there is this threshold of, you know, pushing it a little bit too far where people can get, you know, that hype can become a little bit too much. So oftentimes these days I find myself like, 
you know, a couple of years ago, it was like fighting off that negativity, bringing context to that. Now to these days, like half the time, I feel like I'm like trying to rein people back in and provide, you know, some of that context that's missing maybe from a, yeah, a too positive of a perspective. Yeah, that's what I um, felt. I understood Alex Potter, this last interview you had recently where, you know, you're pulling the, the fanboy. Well, I'll call myself <laughs> a fanboy. You're pulling the fanboys in a little closer to reality and he's sort of being pulled by the shorts or you know some of the folks that are a little more critical of tesla down to where where he still believes i mean he's got a uh, he's got a what a model x mm -hmm. he's got, he's got um, solar solar so he's he's in yeah i mean he believe you know he believes it but he's then he, he you hear him talk and he's super conservative still i mean in some ways yeah which like, those conversations have been just like such a blast for me to have because you know, like, I don't know, I'm, I'm like this small town kid from Iowa, like I never had much exposure to like Wall Street or anything like other than just my own curiosity <laughs> and learning about it. But it's just so, so refreshing to have him like, you know, unveil a little bit behind the curtain there and just sort of let us see how all this stuff works. And he's, he's super open about it. Like, yeah, he's really bullish on the company, but what he puts into his model, like he needs to have that be like defensible. He needs to be able to pick up the phone and be like, here's reason A, B, and C why I have this number in this cell of my model. It can't just be like, oh, because I think so. <laughs> like me on my podcast, I can go on and be like, well, I think so. And I'm pretty confident in that. But some of the times, you know, with investing, it's 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 just sort of, you know, you're taking all this. <laughs> you can't put your entire life experience into a single Excel cell. But that's sort of what analysts kind of have to do. So, and they need to be able to defend that versus, you know, more of the the retail investor community they can really just you know we can all get together and share our thoughts super openly and you know if somebody has a wrong number like we can talk about it no one's going to get mad at them for that right right well rob uh i have to thank you for um coming on with us today yeah um he's uh rob mauer you can find him on youtube under tesla daily and then street.com slash tesla daily yep the street.com slash tesla uh and then on twitter at tesla podcast Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time. And uh, we'll see you in uh, the comments section, I yeah. guess, somewhere. Awesome. Thanks, Joel. Really appreciate it. Thanks for all the support yeah. over the years. Thank you.